0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The character Noah that is set before us this morning is certainly worthy of our consideration, certainly worthy for our attention. As we moved from the writer of Hebrews describing very quickly the translation of Enoch in such a way that we are given very little about Enoch's life, we're given very little about his translation other than God took him Uh, And he did not see death. In Enoch's faith, we certainly see that we have to trust much that is being stated about Enoch's life. There's not a lot we can infer from it. But Noah's faith, on the other hand, in this one single verse, we kind of see it as an open book. His faith is on display for all to see. It's powerful to think about the reality that when we see this one single verse on Noah, we see encapsulated not only all that Noah was, but all that Noah did. And it sets before us a great example and a notable action of faith. It is, if we might say it this way, it is truly faith in action. It is faith that is the result of a true saving faith. It is works that are being done because he is a faithful man. We notice there that the verse is naturally broken up into expressions. You can see it very clearly. By faith, Noah is one expression. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet is a second expression. Moved with fear is a third expression. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, the fourth expression. By the which he condemned the world, fifth And became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith, the sixth expression. You see six great expressions about Noah. Now there's a lot of different ways we could take this study this morning. Uh, We could look and spend the majority of our time on the flood itself. We could take Genesis chapter 6. We could read it, go through it in an expositional manner. We could talk about all the instructions specifically about how to build the ark, what were to do, how what He was to do, what was coming, why God was doing what he was doing. We could also take the approach of looking simply at just Noah's character. We could do an entire character study on Noah. We could study his life. Uh, we could show pictures of, of how Noah demonstrated his faith, and in some ways, we will do that this morning. But I want to really take this from the perspective of really looking at uh, what Noah was actually doing when he was moved with fear. You see, really, one of the first headings we can look at and will encompass some of these expressions is the warning that Noah received and the warning that Noah heeded. Uh, Noah was warned about what was getting ready to happen. This was not something random that Noah was taken off guard. There was a warning about a coming judgment. There was a warning about the reality that this was going to take place on the earth. We could talk about how many years he took to construct the ark. And we could talk about that, how he took the plans and he put it together. and, And for 120 years, he just continued to work and work and work. But I do want to consider before we even get into this warning, I want us to think about the significance of the flood, not so much about the flood of its details. Uh, Although we have the scripture, there are still unanswered questions about what the actual flood looked like, what was actually going on. Uh, what did it look like when the flood came up? There are archaeologists who are arguing uh, until they are blue in the face about uh, where the flood actually was, how high it was, where it peaked, where it went down, where is the ark, where are all these things. And we could get into that. But what was the significance of the flood primarily is that it was an act of God's judgment. And that really is what we have to focus on. And once we get the, the significance that the flood was God's judgment on people who were deserving of judgment, we begin to understand that the flood, the emphasis is not on the water per se, the emphasis is on why the flood came to begin with. The, came, the water came as a judgment on those people who would not believe and the corruption and the evil. We'll never fully understand the extent of a worldwide flood because none of us have lived through a worldwide flood. Uh, there, are, there are no eyewitnesses left to tell us exactly what the flood was like because there were only eight souls saved on that ark. They can't speak to us today audibly, but we can read in the word about this flood. There are difficulties about explaining to an unbelieving world about the flood. Uh, try to have an intelligent conversation with people who are unbelievers and immediately they will scoff at the idea of a worldwide flood. That's where their scoffing begins. They don't scoff at the judgment of God first. They scoff at the reality that there couldn't have been a worldwide flood. There could not have been something that grand happened on this planet because if it happened, then we would not exist. That would be their total argument. But the reality is, is we can argue about the flood waters, or we can argue about the reality of why the flood came to begin with. The significance was it was the judgment of God. It was the judgment of God that there was a warning that came. At the same time we think about this, we have to think about our own Ignorance. And I know we all like to think we know it all. We like to think that we all understand and we're all Bible scholars and we're all theological giants and we can explain frontwards and backwards all the in, ins and outs of faith and all the ins and outs of Scripture. And, and all, There are so many things we don't fully understand quite yet. Uh, you can have a great education, get a theological PhD, and still not know many of the mysteries of God. But we do know that the flood was significant. It was significant because there was a great spiritual significance to this. The significance of the flood was not the fact that it flooded the entire earth. The fact is that it was spiritually significant that the flood was meant to be a judgment of God because it was clearly declared to be that. But what you have in the flood is you have an illustration of humanity. You have an illustration of faith on one side and unbelief on the other. Faith has one outcome. Unbelief has another outcome. There are only two types of people in the world. We've said this many, many times. You're either a believer or you're a non-believer. You're not close to one or the other. You're not close to belief or close to unbelief. You're either a believer or you're an unbeliever. That's the way God's Word declares. There is no almost there. You either believe or you don't believe. Now, Noah was warned about the judgment. He was warned about the flood. Now, we're not told exactly how God came to him, other than the fact that it does say that God spoke to him and God warned him. So Noah had this revelation of some sort of impending judgment, this this destruction that was coming. Noah's step was to believe what God had said. Plain and simple, he believed God. He believed that a coming judgment was coming and he believed God and by that belief he took action. He began by acting in faith And he began to show his faith by his works. A person who is in the faith will show their belief by their works. Faith without works is dead. Biblically speaking, if your faith has no works to it, you have a dead faith. Faith is always active. Faith always has actions. Faith always has actions that correspond with the truth and correspond with your belief in God. So faith is not random. I can't determine what an act of faith is. Acts of faith are natural works that outflow from what we believe. He began to show his faith. He became very active in his faith. Now he's declared often, as in one of the pastors we'll look at this morning, he's declared to be a preacher of righteousness. And we're going to get a little bit more into that in just a few moments. But the believer, Noah the believer, takes center stage in this event. Now, ultimately, God is always the one that we focus our attention to. But Noah is the one who is being used as this picture of declaring the judgment of God and declaring what we see in belief and unbelief. (coughs) Noah the believer, the narrative that's given to us not only in Genesis 6, but in other passages of Scripture, is not emphasizing this radical change of the landscape or what survived or didn't survive the flood. The illustration here is about the spiritual nature of what's happening in front of us. I'm afraid instead of looking at the flood as being the spiritual significance manned and expectedly, the lost world wants to see the significance of the flooding of the earth and its effects on the earth, not the spiritual significance of what God was teaching us through the flood. We could get into all kinds of discussion, and we know this. This is infiltrating the churches today. We're spending time talking about earth changes, right? We're talking about the, church, the, 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 the earth's getting warmer, the earth's getting colder one day. That's not what the emphasis of what's happening here is. It's the significance spiritually of why this judgment came and here's this central figure Noah who by faith believes God and does exactly what God tells him to do even in the face of an entire world that didn't believe what he was believing. There's a lot of things today for some of us, some of our minds might explode from what we think Noah's ark and the flood was all about. Sadly, some of our Sunday school programs have destroyed, absolutely destroyed the image of the the, the ark. Where we see a picture of this nice, tidy ark and happy animals on a ship. This is not what was happening. This was an act of God's judgment. And it's amazing, there for years it became very popular to decorate nurseries with Noah's Ark images. It became very popular. And I, I've, I've, I've said often, it's amazing, we were filming nurseries with the judgment of God all over the walls. Yet, at the heart of it, the significance of the flood was not the cute animals and the wall hangings. This was an actual act of God's judgment and Noah believed that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do so this warning Noah receives we see that some of the significance of the flood but this phrase by faith Noah tells us that Noah had no other ground for action except faith he had no precedent to act on in other words Noah couldn't say I've seen God do this before So he was acting on true faith. He had no other motivation. Only God's word. You know, oftentimes we say something can't be effective and take effect until it sets precedent, right? This precedent had not yet been set. Noah had nothing to act on by faith. So when we see expressions like, by faith Noah, this tells us that Noah acted upon the very thing that he, that's only ground he had. Everything in our human experience and everything in his own knowledge would have fought against the reality of this coming judgment. Because our human reasoning says, no way. No way. There's no judgment coming. New Testament says, where is the promise of his coming? There's nothing happening. And we live and the world lives in it's comfortable with a world and says, there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. And yet here's Noah by faith, believes God and takes the action because he has true faith, which leads into these works of faith. He had no reason to give that man could in his own intellect grab hold to why he started constructing that ark to begin with. He could have reasoned with man. He could have tried to explain. And again, some of our modern takes on the flood and Noah's ark have completely distorted this. They They have made it sound, they've created one narrative that the Bible does not talk about. They've they've made this narrative that here's what Noah was doing every day. And it kind of sensationalizes it. And the, the Hollywood version of it shows Noah up on his boat and having these great conversations with people and you know coming down off his off his ladder or whatever he's using and having these conversations around the ark with people and describing what it's there's really no and there's no place where it says he was having spiritual conversations with people. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kind of shock you. It doesn't even really say that he ever stood outside the boat and said, repent so you can get in the boat. But yet the narrative is is that Noah stands out and makes a pulpit out of wood and stands out there and preaches, repent, if you want to get in the boat, repent and come in the boat. Yet when God was giving Noah the instructions, he told Noah, he said, there's only eight of you getting in this ark. There's only eight of you. He didn't say there might only be eight. He said, this is to the saving of your house. Now again, Noah could have leaned on his own understanding. But yet, by faith, Noah. Genesis 6 through 9 give us the account primarily of Noah's life. Noah was not a perfect man. Read on beyond chapter 6. Read after the flood and you find that Noah was a sinner just like the rest of us. Noah did some evil things. Yet Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, verse 7 says. God had promised that this is what he was going to do. I think, probably, up until the point when it was time to get in that ark, Noah probably in his mind's eye had to ask himself the question, as any human would do, is there really a flood coming? But he believed God. So Noah had no ground for his action except true faith. Thirdly, Noah's action corresponds directly with his professed faith. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with what? Fear. Now, nowhere scripturally that I have found does it appear that Noah went about preaching repentance and proclaiming an invitation to get into the ark. Every Hollywood version illustrates it that way. It illustrates it that there was this great preacher who went from place to place because it says he's a preacher of righteousness. You know how Noah was doing his greatest preaching was by living out his faith. Now again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not neglecting that, not negating that. But the reality is, is we don't see Noah proclaiming to the world, get in the boat. But you do see he moved with fear to what? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That's very, very instructive. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The revelation being made to him to secure his own house. His real belief in a coming judgment was shown in the most convincing way when he built that ark. That's convincing that he believed God. A lot of times what we believe is only in word. And when our belief actually comes to be challenged, sometimes we cower in that belief and we no longer are as strong. His building of the ark was convincing that he believed God. Now God's not going to call us to build an ark but he certainly is calling us every day to live by what we believe. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but our very act and life of faith condemns an unbelieving world. When you live by faith, it condemns the unbelieving world without saying a word. As a matter of fact, the verse says that. He says, by the saving to his house, by the, by the which." He condemned the world. How, what did he condemn the world with? By preparing the ark to the saving of his house, he condemned the world by that action. Remember, there's a difference between faith, belief and unbelief. The acts, the works of a faithful man, condemns the world. Noah's actions corresponded with his faith. He had a real belief. Many times, even in our churches, sadly, we have people that say, "I believe this, I believe that," but it does not influence their life. If you truly believe the things of God, if you truly believe in the coming judgment of God, you believe that there's only uh, one way. It is going to, it's going to, it's going to be illustrated in how we live. Again, faith without works is dead. Not saved by my works but faith will always be active and it will always correspond to the truth. It influenced his life. Secondly, not only did he receive this warning, and we've already kind of implied this, but the obedience that Noah displayed. He prepared that ark. He exercised faith in God that was influenced by the fear of God. He didn't neglect it. He built an ark for the saving of his house. Folks, we are never, ever allowed to neglect God's divine demands and commands on us. God does demand something of his people. This idea that has infiltrated again, saying God doesn't make demands on his people. God would never force you to do things. There are demands. There are divine commands that God puts on his people. And his people should respond in obedience and say, "Uh, Lord, I, I will do this. Not, well... This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I isn't it, that just seems so legalistic? We all heard that word, right? Most misused word in churches is legalism. God asking you to do something is not legalism. Legalism is believing that you can be saved by your works. That's legalism. Following God's commands is not legalism. Separation from that which is unholy is not legalism. It's God's commands. Legalism is really exclusively to those things that we believe our work somehow would secure our salvation. No exercise faith in the fear of God. He promptly obeyed the will of God. He did what he was called to do. And then there is this condemnation. By the which, the building, the preparing to the saving of his house, warned of God, warned about things not seen, moves with fear, and by his moving with fear, prepares this ark to the saving of his house, and by that very act of faith, he condemns the world with his act. Noah condemned an unrepentant world. In building the ark, he condemned the unbeliever. Noah's building was nothing more than a condemnation and a demonstration of what God had said. Here is what's going to happen. We cannot help in this world. And maybe this has happened to you. Maybe it's not happened to you. I've had conversations with people who know I'm a believer before I ever say a word to them. I didn't say a word to them. They say, whatever you do, don't preach to me. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, open your Bible. I didn't say, I want to quote a Bible verse to you. I just started to have a conversation with them and they said, don't preach to me. I I have not said a word. So what is happening in that illustration? What's happening in that illustration is faith is condemning the unbeliever without me saying a word. That's what Noah's action was doing. His action was condemning the world and he never had to open his mouth. Faith that's active like that condemns the world. Now why does a person not want to be preached to? Isn't it interesting... They don't want to be preached to. And yet, why? Because it's the very thing in which Genesis 6 told us about, that the world was only evil continually. Its thoughts were evil continually. A sinner does not want to be preached to because they don't want to be told and reminded of their sin that separates them from a holy God. Noah was not setting out with this concept of saying, I'm going to do this so that I can condemn the world. He was not doing this in a vindictive manner that says, I, I just want to, I want to preach hard so I can condemn the world. His life was condemning the world. The unrepentant world. The more active our faith is, the more of a censor or a censure of the world It will appear. In other words, as our faith is active and our faith is lived out, the world is more and more going to grow more agitated with the life of faith. Folks, it's happening all around you. It's happening in your society. It's happening in your towns. It's happening in your schools. It's happening in your workplace. There are people that are being dismissed from jobs because they're going around preaching too much. They're not saying anything. They're not saying a word. Now, they should be testifying of Christ. But they say, you're going around this office and you're preaching too much. They're just living lives of faith. It runs contrary to what the world wants and the world desires. People come to me all the time and they say, listen, I feel like such an outsider in my job. You're going to feel that way. If you are comfortable in your job, you're most likely not living any faith out. You are going to stand out like a sore thumb. You can't help it, even if you don't say anything. And you say, why do people, I don't, I, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice lady. Why do people treat me this way? Because your faith is condemning them. Now, this isn't to be done in arrogance and pride where we're trying to find reasons to condemn. We can speak the truth, folks, and we can speak the truth in love. We can do it in a way that we are proclaiming truth, but we're not doing it in a hateful manner. But Noah was not standing on that ladder, driving whatever he was, holding holding this ark together and, and screaming at them. Just every day he kept living that life of faith, and by the actions of building that ark, he was condemning the world while he was saving his own house Noah his condemnation was being manifest not his condemnation but God's condemnation condemnation is only condemnation if it's grounded in the right truth and the proper authority i don't have in my rights or authority to condemn man by my standard you understand what I mean? I don't have the right or the authority to condemn anybody by my standard. The only proper right and authority that I have to even proclaim condemnation to a sinner is through the right and the authority of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we condemn people in our own with our own standard. The only proper authority to condemn is God because he's the only one who is holy, righteous, and perfect. So unless I can have a perfect standard, I can't condemn without the right authority. Now, does that mean we don't preach condemnation that the Bible talks about? Absolutely not. But we only preached in the authority of God's word. Noah's condemnation of the world was being manifest. It was grounded in the right authority. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll look just at a couple of these verses. Again, we're not exhausting all of these texts. But I want you just to notice in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, "...for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Even today, the human mind argues with, I don't believe it was only eight souls. The Bible declares on the authority of God's word, eight souls survived the flood. Well, how many people were on the earth at that time? It doesn't really matter. Eight souls were saved. Those eight souls that were saved, and it says there was a long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Noah's condemnation, some have said, God just does not seem fair in the way He deals with man. Yet look what verse 18 says, Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The only reason we were brought to God was through his death, his burial, his resurrection. The only reason we're saved today, the only reason we can even claim salvation, is because of what Christ has done, how Christ has paid the price. He's the one that gave us the deliverance from our sin. It would be the, the, the epitome of heresy to say that I could do anything that would somehow gain me acceptance with God. And it would be blasphemous to say that Noah was saved because of what he did. That's what saved him. No, he did what he did because he was saved. Because he was in the faith. The deliverance that he obtained, it tells us at the end of that expression in Hebrews 11, and he became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah, it says, became heir of righteousness. He was not saved by works, but solely by faith. He was justified, he was accepted of God through the infinite merit of a promised redeemer, which was imputed to him through believing. What must a man do today? To escape the judgment of God is to believe. To believe on who? Believe on Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. To repent of sin and to believe on Christ alone. Not on my works, not on my baptism, not on my church attendance, not on my, my moral high ground, but on Christ alone alone. He obtained the righteousness of faith. This has only, always been the way of salvation for fallen sinners. A sinner must believe the saving of the soul. This is not belief that just saves you temporarily from problems in this life. This is eternal salvation. This is salvation of the soul. We escape, escape, dangerous situations in our life probably more times than what we care to know. Providentially, God keeps us out of a car accident. Providentially, God prevents something bad from happening to us. Temporal salvation is just that. Temporal salvation. But there's still appointed unto man a time to die. At one point, at some time in history, That temporal life will no longer be saved. And sadly, sometimes it's to the very young. Sometimes it's to the very old. But temporal salvation was not what God had in mind. What is in mind here is the saving of the soul, the the actual eternity is in view here. Noah's acts were not about just surviving that flood. And rebuilding society. I've seen one Hollywood depiction that that's the entire story. Is that it was all just so God could replenish the earth with Noah, and Noah became the hero. This was the judgment of God, and eight souls were saved. But yet, Noah, he was preserved from the flood. You can read the account of it. But again. Why did he prepare that ark in the first place? He believed God. What was the purpose? The purpose of saving his house. Regardless of the explanation we could come up with intellectually or reason it through, which reason is good, logic is good, but don't miss the reality. The truth remains that for Noah and his family, salvation was in that ark only. That's it. He built it by faith. He entered into that ark by faith. The fact that he even went into the ark proves that he believed God concerning things he had not seen. He went into that ark before the flood waters came up. There's a lot of people who think about believing something once something bad happens. It's another thing to believe when things are unseen. Remember, we gave the definition, or the Bible rather, gives us the definition of faith in the very first verse of Hebrews, this chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Noah acted in things unseen. Noah, by faith, prepared the ark, and in doing so, he condemned the world by his action. 2 Peter 2 verses 1 through 5 talks about, again, the judgment of God. And how how that God did not spare certain individuals, certain people. But yet it says something very important about Noah. 2 Peter 2 verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. "...who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not." For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly Self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam the son of Basar who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. He goes on and talks about the reality of the falsehood, the false prophets, those who are living and only living for themselves. You see, folks, the very presence of faith in this world is a condemnation to all that is not of faith. Your belief in God, it condemns the world. All those years, and people again accuse God of being unfair, unjust. God in his long suffering, all those years as Noah prepared that ark, people went on doing what they had always done. There was no thoughts of turning to side, turning to the things of God. They went on and his actions condemned the world. Which gives us some more insight into Luke 17. If you've read this verse and this series of verses, sometimes maybe you've asked yourself the question: Is this similar to what we even see today? Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also. So shall it be also in the sun in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. There was no desire, even in Noah's day, for the things of God. There was not this, as it's been said so many times before, There was not this turning away of people banging on the door. And Noah saying, No, you can't come in, you can't come in. All we can give and see is nobody else was coming. God saved Noah, God did the saving. His work, his acts of faith. Condemn the world around him. Your faith as a worshiper of the true and living God is a judgment to all who love their sin and do not love Christ. Folks, I realize, by application this morning, I realize how tough it is to live as a believer in this world. Much to people's surprise, I'm not isolated from it. Sometimes we get the idea that the only way I can make a difference in this world or the only place where I'm not going to feel this pressure is I I need to be in a Christian environment. I need to be in a Christian company. I need to work for a Christian institution. And we get the idea that that's going to kind of give us this cocoon where we feel safe. Folks, it doesn't matter where you go, what you do as a life and a person who is a believer in the true God. You are always going to stand out and your life is going to act as an aggravation to people because it condemns. Not every Christian environment is a Christian environment the way you think it's going to be. We think if I could just get a job at a Christian company, I'll be, folks, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because even people's definition of Christianity is so different. Some of you maybe just need to take heart today that you are, you are—and again, by, just by way of application, you're struggling in your day-to-day life because you feel like there is that persecution bullseye right on you. And you wonder, why are things this way? Why, why do I feel like I'm being attacked? Your faith condemns and yet, this faith that is talked about here with Noah says it was accounted to him as righteousness. This is the righteousness that God imputes to all of his children. He gives them faith to believe that they are righteous by Christ. I cannot, in good conscience, promise you that you will not have great trials and afflictions in this life. As a matter of fact, I probably say the opposite. You are likely to experience great trials and afflictions. But remember, our faith is God-given. God gives us this faith, and we are to live by that faith, we are to act on that faith. By faith, Noah trusted the Word of God, and he acted based upon even what he had not yet witnessed. There are people that are going to continue to question Is there really a judgment day coming? There is. There is coming a day when God will separate the sheep from the goats. There's coming a day when the wheat will be separated from the tares. There will be surprises. There will be unregenerate church members. There will be people who sat in churches all their life who were never really of God. It's going to happen. Those that were trusting in something else, trusting in their own righteousness, trusting in some other thing, there is a judgment coming. You say, well, prove it. The Word of God tells us there is coming a day when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's also tongues that do not truly believe. Even those who will be cast out into outer darkness will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But it will not be to the saving of their soul at that point. By faith, Noah. If we are in the faith, our faith is active. If you have not repented of your sins and you have not believed in Christ alone, again, I beg of you, run to Christ. You say, I can't believe. God, help thou my unbelief. Help me believe. Cry out to God. Have mercy on my soul, God. Spare my soul. He's not going to turn you away. Don't paint my God as a God that's turning people away who want Him and saying, you can't come. That's not Scripture. All who comes to Him will not be cast out. You say, does that mean me today? That means you. If you cast yourself at Him and say, I I want to come to you, Lord, He's not going to turn you away. You say, but what about what I've done? He's not going to turn you away. He will not turn you away. But there is a judgment coming. Come to Christ and be saved. Let's conclude our time this morning by singing the hymn on page number 66.